Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. And a very happy Easter to you all. It was happy Easter for Manchester United as they beat Brighton 2-1 on Easter Sunday. Hard-fought win, but an important three points for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's side. I'm Dominic Booth here with Tyrone Marshall and Samuel Lucas to discuss it all. Uh, and happy Easter. Welcome to you both. Thank Same you, to you. Thank you. So we'll start with the with the Brighton win. 2-1, obviously, at Old Trafford. Uh, a game that looked like it might be getting away from United until... Goals from Marcus Rashford and Mason Greenwood uh, after another academy graduate in Danny Welbeck had scored early on for Brighton and made it look like a, a difficult evening for United. Samuel, you, you said something this morning and you said on Twitter as well that it was a very hard one to do the ratings for purely because there weren't many standout performances. But I suppose Mason Greenwood was was about as good as, as they got for United on a, a an average performance, but a, a good result. He's, he's been very good the last two or three months. He's just not had the numbers to to show for it, really. And two goals in two games, um, you know, that, that gives him a good platform to build on, possibly end the season with double figures. I think he's on six goals now. But Solskjaer was pleased when someone actually asked him about Greenwood's performance level after the Milan win because he knew what was coming, even though there's that caveat of he's not been scoring many goals. He has been playing well and he's been outperforming far more experienced forwards than him himself in in recent months I mean Rashford was really dreadful again against Brighton he took his goal very well but that was literally the only the only highlight the only spark that he came up with he's he's looked careworn for quite some time I have some sympathy with him there because I think Solskjaer has overplayed him this season but it did reflect really well on Greenwood that that goal came with Rashford and Cavani both off the pitch. You know, it was pretty much not not all on him, but he was he was the focal point. He was the centre forward uh, on the pitch, lurking to to get the winning goal, and and he did it. And I thought, even though Ben White probably should have cleared it off the line, it was it was a very well taken header. Uh, Solskjaer said afterwards it was comparable with with Cavani's equaliser at Southampton, and that even though it's different technique, Cavani stayed upright that you know it's, it's kind of eerie how how they do look similar if you just look at the screenshots of of both goals and it was Greenwood's first headed goal for United as well so the more you think about it the more just in that little you know that that microcosm that goal it, it kind of highlighted his maturity and as I said he is playing well and United United see him as a more more of a centre forward going down the line but it but one of those centre forwards who doesn't necessarily have to play as a centre forward, if if that makes sense. He operates from the right, but they try to get him inside as often as possible. And he changed positions after Cavani went off, did very well. And as I said, after a very difficult first few months of the season, following the the, the, the Reykjavik transgression, I think he's been doing very well. Yeah, he has been doing well, Ty, but... I. I guess the goals haven't backed that up, as as we've said on on this show a few times, and and Solskjaer said after the Brighton game that you shouldn't judge Greenwood just on his goals or lack or lack of goals this season. He has contributed a heck of a lot in terms of work rate and everything else, though, hasn't he this season? And United need someone to start chipping in with goals purely because a lot of the other forwards haven't hit the, the heights of of last season, for example. 
Yeah, I mean, it feels like pretty much all of the forwards, bar Greenwood at the moment, are out of form. So there is, you know, it's encouraging to see him coming back to form. Soskar said after that Milan game, and he was asked about Greenwood, that his all-round game has improved significantly this season and that people are too quick to, to judge on numbers. The fact is, when you want to make your living as Manchester United centre-forward, people are going to judge you on goals. And one goal in 26 wasn't enough for Greenwood. You know, at the risk of, of mentioning XG and incurring the wrath of uh, of Samuel here, <laughs> um, I think there was a, a feeling that from the the analytics community that uh, he was outperforming his numbers last year and has probably regressed a bit and he's underperforming them a bit this year. And the truth lies somewhere in the middle. But you know, he, he is regression <laughs> to the mean. That's going to really wow. uh, get the this, this is why this is why, Dave, this is why Dave Hughes, who is a lovely, lovely lad, very amiable, has never been on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. So also, if anyone is uh, still listening, as well. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah. So if anyone is still with us, um, that's probably the the sort of truth behind those numbers. And he, he's missed chances this year, but his all-round game has improved. He's been more of a threat playing in a wide area. It feels that his crossing from the right on his left foot has improved considerably. He's created a lot of chances like that this season. And last night, it just felt like most of United's best chances fell to him. He had that chance just after the equaliser. He hit the post early on. And it did feel like he looked the player most likely to, to score for United. Obviously, it was it was Rashford who got the equaliser. But beyond that, Greenwood was the man who who looked the most dangerous player. And as we say, those the, the forwards generally are out of form. Rashford had a poor game despite his goal. I don't think Fernandes has been playing brilliantly of late. Cavani was completely lost and ineffectual last night. Obviously, Martial's out now, so it does feel like there's going to be pressure on Greenwood to get the goal. So a, a return to goal-scoring form is, is probably to be welcomed and, and pretty vital for United. Yes, indeed. Yeah, and you make the point about injuries. Um, Marcus Rashford obviously coming off with a, another knock. He seems to have taken a few of those this season and, and keeps playing through the pain barrier. Martial... Solskjaer said in one interview that he was out for the season. He seemed to regress a little bit on that. And in another interview, we'll have to see how, how Martial gets on. Uh, Samuel, the, the other big story, obviously, was Dean Henderson starting uh, in goal ahead of David De Gea for the, the first legitimate time, really, in the Premier League. He's obviously played a lot of games, but Solskjaer had them both to choose from this season. And it looks like he's he's made his bed now with, with Henderson going forward as the number one, although he didn't really have a, a convincing performance, uh, actually, against Brighton, did he? No, he's, I mean, the, the save from Welbeck, the header that obviously Welbeck followed up to score, I thought he did well just to keep that out. But the, the issue was the um, was was from the corners and he did look very, very edgy there. And I think when, when you have a new status, there are new nerves. That's why he always, sooner or later, needed a genuine run in the team, just so people could come to the conclusion whether he was good enough or not, whether he is good enough or not. And it's still too early to, to come to that conclusion just yet. All the time I've watched Henderson, he's never looked particularly vulnerable um, at crosses, uh, even at Sheffield United. Time might be a better place to, um, you know, comment on that because he obviously watched him a fair bit when he was on loan at Shrewsbury a few years ago. But as I said, I think when just that mental thing of being seemingly the United's number one goalkeeper, you're bound to feel different. You're bound to just have a different outlook on things really and know there is more scrutiny on you and know that there is someone on the bench who's been one of the best goalkeepers of the century quite frankly and he's he's waiting the wings to come in and take your place as, as soon as possible you'd imagine that De Gea will play against Granada on on Thursday and it's easy to forget that 
in De Gea's last performance at Chelsea, United fans voted him man the match, rightly so, and he pulled off one of the, the saves of the season. So uh, I wasn't entirely surprised that Henderson did look a bit edgy at times. And as, as you touched upon, he, he flapped at a couple of crosses, but De Gea did that as well in his first, certainly his first 18 months, I think on his debut for United in the Premier League at West Brom. And after that game, Ferguson made a point of, I think he said Schmeichel used to complain like a pig, uh, was his turn of phrase about uh, Pitch Michael's early days at United. And of course, Schmeichel arrived at the club in his late 20s and was a pretty experienced keeper at that time. So just this, just the status of being the first choice goalkeeper at United, I think it has pretty much got to every goalkeeper in that role, bar maybe Edwin van der Sar, because he was 35 at the time he arrived at his club and he, he was such a seasoned professional and such an esteemed professional that even though he'd seem, seemingly spent four years in error at Fulham, people still looked at him as, as one of the uh, most dependable goalkeepers on the planet. Yeah, and, and just before we, we come on to maybe the you know the, the battle between the two of them and, and how it's unfolded, the, the the story now really is about De Gea and, and what happens to him. And Solskjaer did say they had two number ones in an interview, um, I think it was before the Brighton match actually, and Rio Ferdinand quickly said, that doesn't really work. You've written the Manchester Union News today, Samuel, that um, De Gea's future is in doubt. There's a little bit of tension there between him and Solskjaer. What what do you see as, as happening now with, with De Gea? It's, it's not the easy situation for United to manage. No, it isn't. And it's it's almost like a, a strange version of the Sanchez deal in the summer in that they had to subsidise uh, the, the highest earner, uh, the highest earner's departure from the club. Now, De Gea's stock is nowhere near as low as, as Sanchez's was last summer, but he is the highest earner at the club. He's got two years left in his contract, like Sanchez did. I think it was two years. It was two years left on Sanchez's contract. And if the feeling at the end of the season is that Henderson is number one, then obviously he starts next season as number one. And you can just so difficult to justify keeping De Gea. And I don't think De Gea would want to stay either. I think Rio Fernand touched upon that. He he was Fernand was quite forthright actually in saying that you know he would he would demand transfer if that was the case and. I think it's probably in everyone's best interests if come the end of the season De Gea is not number one that that happens. I don't think the fee would necessarily be a problem, but of course the wages would be. I think he would try and command those wages wherever he went, but you'd struggle to find a club that would be prepared to pay the best part of £400,000 a week for a goalkeeper who in the last couple of years has, has looked on the downward spiral. I think he's been a lot steadier this season and there are certainly some big clubs in Europe that he, he would improve. It would certainly be a big, big upgrade um, on Chesney at Juventus. And I was a little bit surprised in some ways that although De Gea was clearly settled at United, that he didn't hang tight when he went into the last year of his contract and just think, well, coming in the season, Juventus might want me because Juventus have been specialists at signing very good players on freeze over the last decade. But of course, in, in the end, he, you know, he took the money. He was happy at United. He stayed at United. But maybe that big move, it, it could still come in the summer. But it, it still feels very, very... A, a lot of things would have to happen, I think, for that to... To happen, I don't think it's one of those things that that will happen quickly. But I think you know, with a little bit like it's it's a greater version of Sergio Romero. Sergio Romero should have just been allowed to leave last summer because he'd he'd done his time at United. He'd been a very very good servant. He'd be, he's been a very good player for United. De Gea has been a great player for United, and you want to leave it on a good note. 
even though there has been tension uh, between him and and Solskjaer because of the dynamic of um, that competition with Henderson. From what I've been told, uh, there's no no issue between Henderson and De Gea. It's quite an amicable working relationship. But there have been occasions in the past this season where Solskjaer has intended on dropping De Gea. De Gea has been told about it. He's not been happy about it. And Solskjaer's uh, restored him to the eleven. So in the end, it's, it's a little bit strange that De Gea has become the number two by virtue of him going on paternity leave. And I don't think if you if he could turn the clock back, he would change anything about, about that decision whatsoever. I thought it was entirely understandable that um, he travelled to Spain to be at the birth of his of his firstborn. It's, it's such a fraught time, the pandemic. I mean, parents fraught with worries if, if the partner's pregnant. And I, I completely understood why he wanted to be present for that. I don't think anybody should ever hold that against him. No, absolutely not. Yeah, I, it's more the yeah the battle that's that's sort of ensued throughout the season. And I think this point was always going to be reached. Ty, where yeah. Henderson took the took the reins, and he'd impressed so much at Sheffield United on loan. And I know that De Gea has a staunch army of supporters, though, doesn't he? Which who may be annoyed at the decision and annoyed that United may come to a point where they sell De Gea. But is it is pretty much justified Solskjaer making this decision? Probably should have should have made it earlier than he has. I think so, yeah. You've got to have an eye on the future. And at 24, Henderson is is probably the coming man and as academy graduate, deserves his shot. De Gea's not old for a goalkeeper. And I think it's worth remembering he's shown an awful lot of loyalty to Manchester United and he's probably due a little bit back. So perhaps that's understandable. You know, During those post-Fergie years, there was a lot of years where he was United's best player and he'd been well within his rights to leave. And OK, he did nearly leave at one point, but... He could have kicked up more of a fuss to leave, given how good he was and how poor the rest of the team was. So, you know, he, he's shown a lot of loyalty tonight. He's made more than 400 appearances. He's been an outstanding servant. But the last couple of years, he's he's not looked the same goalkeeper. He looks like perhaps he needs a, a change of scene. And it does feel like there's not a great deal of difference between him and Henderson at the moment. Henderson's probably got more room for improvement. Feels like he's probably more in tune with how Solskjaer wants to play in terms of passing out from the back. Feel like he's a bit more commanding, takes up more aggressive positions, and allows United to play a higher line. So it does feel like Henderson probably suits um, how United want to play. So I think it, it's probably the right decision. Like you say, the challenge now is it, it's a new kind of pressure for for Henderson, and it's going to be intriguing to see how he gets on. Really, I think it's it's going to bring a new challenge for him in in how he adapts with it. He's you know, he's not one that lacks in confidence, as we know, but he's also been at Sheffield United and especially at, at Shrewsbury. He, you know, he's a massive wind-up merchant on the pitch. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, it was noticeable when he had that season on loan at Shrewsbury, the second time teams played against him, they took great delight in scoring past him and, and rubbing his face in it on a couple of occasions. And there's that footage for Sheffield United last year when, I can't remember, it was against, maybe against Villa, when someone had a shot that was wildly off target and he just threw himself in an exaggerated dive and you know that's the type of thing he, he's clearly having fun with it but that's going to rile opposition players and we've not really seen it for United and you wonder if he's perhaps sort of toned it down now he's there's a different spotlight being in goal for Manchester United to being in goal for Sheffield United or Shrewsbury Town so perhaps he's he's reined that in and it, it might be a good idea because if you pull those sort of antics at, at Manchester United then opposition are, are going to target you and there was an element of that last night with Brighton sticking those corners under his crossbar I feel like Sheffield United took a similar approach at Bramall Lane in, in December so perhaps they thought after a year work or two years working with him that was maybe a weakness of his his it, it's not something we've really noticed and it feels like at least he's positive in coming for the balls but I think it's it's undoubtedly the right decision for United but I think it does bring a new pressure for Henderson he's he spent his entire professional life really aiming for this moment now he's the 
the man in possession of the shirt and that, that can bring a, a change in mindset to, to almost a more defensive mindset and trying to protect it, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. It feels like almost the right of passage for a United uh, number one goalkeeper to face a barrage across his eye in the air. I think De Gea was, was a regular recipient of that early on in his days and obviously had a, a bit of a reputation as, as being a bit loose in those crosses back then. Other positives from the, the Brighton win, Samuel? Few and far between, I suppose. Uh, the return uh, to form somewhat of Fred after his Leicester horror show maybe being one. Harry Maguire seemed, seemed solid on his 100th appearance. Any of those you might pick out? I think you've, you've more or less covered it there. That it was mainly that the best players, best inverted commas, were probably mainly sixes. I, I gave Fred an extra mark just because I thought he showed pretty good character after the, the horror show at, at Leicester two weeks before that. The, the more I think about it, the, the Maguire Welbeck instant second half where Brighton wants a penalty, I, I can understand why the penalty wasn't given. I, I'd have also understood it if the penalty was given. But I think Maguire was just about cute enough in that he he probably did foul Welbeck, but he disguised it in such an unobvious and, and subtle way that it was not a clear and obvious error of Mike Dean not giving a penalty, which is, is rare that we would say that about Mike Dean. But there were a couple of moments last night where, where he was actually sensible with his referee. And yet even when he was sensible in allowing the advantage to be played with, with Rashford's goal, he still, still somehow didn't book white for clearing out Fernandez with a tackle that was a yellow card all day long but I suppose that you know for, for some time now the defense hasn't looked too much of a concern even though there are issues with it even though they, they do need a right back to if not keep Aaron Wan-Bissaka on his toes and trample over his toes they do need another center back just to have you know, a world-class presence in there with with Maguire or Lindelof uh, they've they've been doing reasonably well of you defending of late United the issue is up top where Rashford's not been playing well for a long long time Marshall's had the worst season of his United career Cavani just as the clocks go forward he looks like he's clocking out of United as well um, so again I think that's why it, what Greenwood did merited the appreciation that, that he's received in the aftermath of the game Yes, and absolutely no coincidence whatsoever that all the transfer stories at the moment are, are dominated by Erling Haaland. United's need for a centre-forward, fairly obvious, uh, as discussed with all those goal rec- records. Um, Ty, the problem is that this it just seems to be a scramble that's developing now between all these elite clubs for Haaland's signature, if indeed he does go uh, from Borussia Dortmund this summer. Mina Raiola tweeting fake news on Monday morning regarding a few stories after he was spotted in Barcelona last week. Where do you see this one heading? It doesn't seem like a, a battle United can win, really, to me. I maybe you disagree. I mean, it's a, it's a difficult one to see them winning. They, they've got a shot. I guess the problem the problem is going to be, A, the valuation, and B, the composition for his signature. And I think, you know, the Barcelona stuff, as we touched on on Friday, I think is, is complete posturing. Barcelona cannot afford him. And, it, you know, unless they find some money down the back of the sofa or get another loan in, they can't afford him. Them and Real Madrid are monstrously in debt and it is difficult to see how either can do it. Real have got a lot of players they could sell, I guess, that might raise some funds, but it's hard to see it. You know, Guardiola said on Friday it was impossible that City would, would sign a striker because of the fees involved. Certainly, City have been put off bidding wars before. They were with Harry Maguire. It'd be no surprise if they were with Haaland again. But I think he's such a long-term solution. You know, he's, he's a 10-year solution to a centre-forward problem. And I think that almost makes him worth the money. Dortmund have clearly said that they're going to want 
150 million euros or, or that sort of fee for him, but they're not going to qualify for the Champions League. And Haaland looks increasingly annoyed there, to be honest. His, his body language is not great when playing for Dortmund now. Um, they look a, a pretty poor team at the moment. Be no surprise if they got slaughtered by City over two legs in the quarterfinals. And I just can't see him wanting to hang around for a Europa League campaign. So that might force Dortmund's hand. They could, you know, they could raise funds by selling him this summer. United have got a chance. They've got those Solskjaer links. It'd be a budget buster for them. I don't think there's any doubt about that. If they signed Haaland, I don't think they could afford much else, really. But like we say, Haaland's probably a, a 10-year solution to a, a major problem. And, and it is looking like a major problem at United because Cavani is unreliable fitness-wise and, and not in great form on the pitch either. Uh, Martial's had a terrible season. So I, I still think it'd be a surprise if Haaland ended up at United. But they've got to be, they've just got to be in the conversation because as we touched on on Friday, it doesn't feel like there's a plan B out there. I said on Friday, it'd be more interesting to see for the clubs who don't end up with Haaland than the club who does because lots of clubs see him as their perfect target, but there's, there doesn't appear to be an alternative striker on the market that the clubs are looking at or that you think is even approaching world-class level. So a lot of teams who want Haaland are going to miss out on him and that's going to leave them scratching around for plan Bs, plan Cs and plan Ds. Yeah, the only the only other name is is Harry Kane that's related to United. Well, that looks you know even le- even more even more unlikely really with the fee that he would command and how long he's got left in his Spurs contract. Samuel, are United in a better position with with Haaland than they were with Sancho a year ago. Is, is this a more likely deal to happen? Are, are they holding more more trump cards than they they were? Obviously, with the pandemic at its more fierce point and most financially damaging point a year ago. It's, that's an interesting question. I'd probably say they're not because mm. when the season ended last year, I think most people would have expected Sancho to go to United because United were very, very open about about wanting to sign him. They, you know, they took it a fair way down the line. But I think when Dortmund was it Vatsker or Zork came out and said, "Oh, we've extended his contract by another year." It, I think that might have even been news to United. I mean, that was just completely out of the blue. And it didn't seem to actually impact his his valuation or what Dortmund wanted for, for him, but it, it probably should have done, even though that you know the, the pandemic was um, in its, its infancy still at the time in Europe anyway. But still, you thought because United were prepared to invest probably a club record fee in Sancho, you just thought they would grind Dortmund down and Dortmund always sell their best players. It, eventually, it's it's a given. But they, they held firm. And from what I was told, I think United walked away from it quite a, well, a lot earlier than, than it was suggested. Otherwise, I think two or three weeks before the window actually closed, they, it was case closed on Sancho for the summer. And... The, the dynamic with Sancho specifically now is is different in that his stock isn't as high. He's, he's certainly a lot more affordable, but United have invested £37 million on the right winger and their priorities do lie elsewhere. It's it's strange how much it's changed. They certainly still need a, a multifunctional winger, a winger who can play left, right, and it's, it's not a problem for them to play either side. But they need a striker more and they probably need a centre-back more. And certainly if Pogba goes, they'll need a midfielder more. And it's just as well that Greenwood is is mature and, and has been in, in recent months. And with Ahmad, he's, he's still so raw and there's clearly a reluctance to, to play him when, when he is an option. I think it says it all that Solskjaer's sticking with going, for, going with Daniel James ahead of him at the moment. So it's still something that United might have to revisit at some point, but it would just shows how how quickly things can change. It would feel a bit out of the blue if United signed a right winger 
when, as I said, they, they need a striker and, and a centre-back more so in this in the upcoming summer transfer market. But with with Haaland, it's, it's such an obscene amount of money for, for a generational talent, but I, th- I think he's he's probably worth it. And the way it's going with Dortmund, as Ty said, I think they lost to Eintracht Frankfurt at the weekend. Right. They don't look like a team that are going to qualify for the Champions League. And I do wonder if Jude Bellingham is, is the last of these young teenage talents that actually makes the move to Dortmund because they, they don't compete at all in the Bundesliga every season. They don't win anything. I don't even think, have they even won a German Cup since they last got to the Champions League final in 2013? I'm not sure they have. I know they've got to the odd final, but I'm not sure they've won anything. So their, their time in the sun, even after you know, the winning back-to-back titles under Klopp, where they, they were still, you know, one of these teams that were so much admired because they did reach the Champions League final and they, they were, you know, being pillaged by Bayern Munich for their best players. That That does seem to be coming to an end now, even though they have still got some brilliant players. But yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd probably say that, you know, it's, it's it's a really difficult question to answer and it's a very long-winded reply and I wish I had a better answer for it. But <laughs> I'd probably still that, I'd probably still say there's more likelihood of, of, of Haaland ending up at United just because needs must and he is one of those players that if they can somehow sign him, they are effectively weakening a rival because they're depriving a rival of a brilliant generational talent. Yeah, I think that's a fair enough answer. I apologise for putting you right in it with that uh, no, difficult question, to be to be fair. Uh, it will be interesting to see, as Tyrone says, how Dortmund get on against uh, City in the Champions League uh, quarterfinals this week. That'll be uh, a test for Haaland, maybe a, a, a stage for him to showcase again um, his talents. Uh, meanwhile, United will be in Europa League action, not quite as glamorous uh, a game against Granada over two legs starting um, this Thursday night with the away leg. It feels like an, another one tie where United can't really afford to to play a weakened side. This is the, obviously the only trophy that they're still competing for this season. There's no room for, for too much rest and rotation and United are going to have to go all out and, and try and win this one. Yeah, there's not a great deal of, of room, especially further forward where injuries are continuing to strike. But it you know, it does feel like the kind of game United could get one in the first leg, like they did against Real Sociedad, really. Granada are a great story in Spain for a very small club, but I think they're eighth or ninth or something like that in La Liga this season. It's a pretty weak La Liga. Real Madrid and Barcelona are back in the title race when then our great side, Atletico Madrid, were completely outplayed by Chelsea in the Champions League. We saw what United did to Real Sociedad. Uh, Granada lost 3-0 to Villarreal at the weekend. Really, you know, I think Alvaro Negredo leads the line for them at 35, 36, whatever he is. So, you know, this really over two legs, it should be no issue for United. And it does feel like it's an opportunity to get the get the game won in the first leg, maybe like they did against Real Sociedad and, and look to rest players and rotate next week. Um, I suppose be some interest if, if Van der Beek plays. I know we often mention him and it feels like he's in a relevance. 28 minutes, to be fair. That's, yeah, a, that's to a bring him in. You wonder, um, I think I think he was probably in a good position to score last night if Greenwood hadn't gone for the header. And you wonder if that would have given him a, a little lift. Solskjaer said on Friday, I asked him Van der Beek that he'd been scoring absolute screamers in training that morning and sort of said he'd, he'd come back from Holland and the change of scenery had done him the world of good, even though he's lost his place in the Holland team as, as well as the United team. But, you know, this this feels like a game to potentially give him both legs really and, and try and play him into some confidence and if he you know if that change of scenery has done him the world of good then then play him and, and give him the chance to to impact a game whether we will we'll wait and see but he should be good enough to play two legs against Granada and really they, they should pose United no problems at all and it 
it should be a pretty comfortable quarterfinal, I'd have thought. Is it Negredo or Soldado who plays for Granada? Oh, yeah, maybe it's Soldado. They, they, I always they, get those two confused. They, they merge, yeah, the, the two Premier League Spanish striking rejects, yeah. yeah. Did, yeah. Did, yeah. Is, is it 2014 again? It seems like we've, uh, we've gone back in time talking about <laughs> yeah. this. And Ken, uh, does Ken, Kennedy, Kennedy Kennedy's plays for him, doesn't there, he? From yeah. The, Left was left back at Chelsea or Newcastle. Yeah, as as, as Ty said, it, it really should be a pretty easy leg for United. Yeah, it is Soldado. I can confirm. It is. Uh, yeah, to see how he's progressed from that big money move to Spurs all those years ago. Uh, in terms of United's personnel, Samuel, how many how many dare Solskjaer change from the the Brighton game? The Hearing goal may be a, a fairly easy call to give him some football. Otherwise, who else? Who else do you consider to br- to bring into the side? Obviously, injury dependent. I, I think they can probably make a few more changes than than people just would would ordinarily think they should do in a quarter final because Granada are that underwhelming side. But obviously, not it's not mass rotation. I think I mean Tunzebi has not had enough football mm. in recent months, and he should have been used at right back more often just to give Wambasaka a breather because. Wambasaka's form throughout the whole season has been very underwhelming. He's he's not played as well as he did in the first season. Certainly, I think he was on a upward trajectory, and he seems to have plateaued really. And and again, he's he's another one who's been overplayed. I think was it Rich the other week, or it might have been you, Dom, who said in the Premier League, like the top five appearance makers, four of them play for United, which are Maguire, Fernandez, Rashford, and Wambasaka, which is why. You know, some of those players look as fatigued as they do, and Fernandez is is certainly one of them. Um, but I, I would I would certainly stick Van der Beek in. I think certainly with the injury issues that they've got, I, I don't think it's worth ris- risking Rashford for um, that game when you've got Tottenham on on Sunday, and it's another chance to consolidate second place. Make no mistake, it finishing second does seem to mean an awful lot to this United staff. I was I was quite taken aback by how. Wildly, they celebrated Greenwood's winner against Brighton. It's it, unfortunately, we're, I think all of us, and it sounds very spoiled, but those of us who are going to these games and covering them are getting a bit fed up of the lack of lack of supporters because it, they are feeling a lot of the games are feeling very sterile, especially United in the last couple of months, and it feels a bit incongruous when a goal goes in that it's it's greeted wildly by staff there, and yeah, credit to them for being that enthusiastic, but it. it it is starting to, you know, as, as I said, I think, you know, th- that lack of a crowd there to really amplify a goal is is starting to take its toll. And where United haven't been particularly watchable in recent months, I think the absence of a crowd has, has, has been a lot more palpable. Whereas in the first half of the season, I think we were all unfortunately quite used to it. So make no mistake, I think from, from Solskjaer's perspective, like second, finishing second is means a hell of a lot to him because it, it signals progress. It does absolutely, but uh, I suppose the Europa League trophy would be a nice one for the for the mantelpiece and for fans to to talk about as well. So we'll just get your predictions then from you two uh, before we log off for this week's podcast. I'll come to you first, there, Tyrone. Like you say, you you want a big United win to to help them book the second tie off. If you like, can you see them getting it by three or four goals? Yeah, I can. I just. Quickly blow my own trumpet as well. I did say 2-1 to United on, on Friday and that Brighton would, would give them a, a good game. So feeling particularly smug at that one. So we'll try and make it back-to-back. Um, I can see a pretty routine United win, to be honest. And I think it you know it might suit them. So I'm, I'm going to be confident and go for 3-0. Tyrone's tips there, the, the bookmaker. Yeah, he seems to be getting it right quite a lot. He's running scared. Uh, it's got to be the new Fred Doan column in the MEM. Right? <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm looking forward. Uh, Samuel, do you agree with that with that prediction? 
I'll, I'll go with two nil. I certainly, I certainly can't see any other outcome than United win. We will see. We will see what happens, and we'll of course review the Granada game on Friday's podcast. We'll also talk about that upcoming Premier League game against Tottenham. A chance for United to banish some of the demons of the 6-1 earlier in the season. But for now, thank you very much, Samuel and Tyrone, for both of your contributions today. Thank you, Dom. Thank you. Thanks, Dom. And we'll be back again for another episode of the Manchester is Red podcast very soon. Don't forget to leave us a like and a subscribe, and we'll be back on Friday. Thanks for joining us.